0: Tonight's message is called uh, "Who Do We Trust," and uh, so we're going to be looking at, at uh, continuing in our uh, look at Stephen's speech. So Stephen is, as you know, before the council, he's being accused of uh, of blasphemy, of speaking against the temple, um, and and so now he has been asked by the high priest, uh, "Are these charges true?" And this is this uh, this whole chapter seven is his response. Uh, to the high priest about about the charges that are being advanced against him, so tonight uh, we 're looking at a um, the last two two times together we looked at Abraham uh, as Stephen is just going through uh, the the history of Israel, and one of the key things he 's pointing out is this that the glory of God is among us it 's not just limited to a particular place, a particular temple, and that 's important because the people accusing him were very zealous for worship. At the temple specifically, and so uh, uh, tonight we're looking at a portion about Moses that he's uh, that Stephen is working through uh, in in verses nineteen to forty three. So my question for us tonight is: uh, Who do you trust? Who do we trust? There are a number of things that we can place our trust in, and uh, and we'll talk about a few of those things uh, right now. You know, when you're making a purchase for something, there are particular people or things that you might trust in. Uh, So I was reading that um, less than 50% of people actually think that ads are credible, which I thought it'd actually be, you know, like even lower than that. (laughs) Um, So when you're making a purchase, you know, people, about 50%, a little under that, think that ads are credible in their decision about purchases they're making. Um, But 92% of people uh, purchase based on a family or friend's uh, recommendations. So they have strong amount of trust is in family and friends, people that are uh, that are close to you that have maybe experienced with a product that someone is uh, that you might be interested in purchasing. Um, so, you know, there's a there's an element of trust when you're making a purchase, right? When you're trying to get a new laptop or a phone or we we're talking about wireless plans, you know, this uh, just recently. And uh, and so there's there's a number of things that you trust, maybe a family member that's had some experience with that or a friend, um, and generally there 's a, a little bit of distrust for the person that 's trying to sell you uh, that item, and uh, so that that 's true in our culture. One other thing that uh, that people have uh, an element of or lack of trust in is uh, the news or media outlets. So, uh, a, a study was done that says that fifty five percent of people in America don 't trust news and media at all, so they 're just totally it 's all hogwash. I don't believe anything they're saying. I cannot trust them. They have a slant or a bias that I cannot trust. Sadly, uh, worse than that is that the percentage of people that distrust our government is much higher, higher than it's probably ever been uh, in, in our history as a nation. Actually, I think there was, take, take that back, there was one time, I think it was uh, just after Nixon, uh, the, the rating was lower than I'm going to tell you about uh, just now, but uh, in 1958... Um, only 23% of people distrusted uh, the government. So this is a a survey that started being uh, done at the the elections um, and exit polling. And and at that time, in 1958, only 23% of people had a distrust for government. Any guesses as to what percentage that's at today? Number of people that distrust or think that... yeah, 80, yeah, 80%, exactly, yeah, yeah, 80% of people distrust the government. So who do you trust? Do you, do you trust a media outlet? Do you trust government? Do you trust family and friends? Who do you trust is the question for us, It's a very relevant question for us in our culture today, and that's exactly what we're getting at uh, today because uh, the fact is, in a culture of distrust, we must decide whether we're going to place our trust in ourselves and as people around us or or ourselves individually, or whether we're going to place our trust in God, and what we see as we look at the the passage on Moses here is that Moses learns this lesson. he starts out in his in his life in his uh yeah I guess in his life or uh, the things he said about doing uh, trusting in himself in his background we'll see in the 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 latter part of his years he learns very clearly to trust in God. God teaches him greatly and he becomes a great man of God because, because he stopped trusting in his background and started trusting in God and what God had for him. So starting in uh, verses 19 to 29, I'm just going to read this passage. Um, This is a section talking about Moses as he's trusting himself Um. Well, actually, I'm going to back up at the start of verse 17 just to rehash a couple of things. Um, verse 17, we see... Uh, oh, yeah, I'll just read this, this section here. Uh, starting at verse 17 to chapter 7. But as the time of promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. So just a reminder to us that when we looked at Abraham, we saw that God had made a promise to... Uh, to Abraham. And if you might remember that promise was, while Abraham was in the the land of promise, he told them that you're going to inherit this land, but it's going to come after your people, your descendants, have been slaves for 400 years. So what we're seeing here is that, indeed, uh, Joseph had been taken to Egypt, and he became prominent in Egypt, and uh, his brothers uh, flourished In Egypt and grew and multiplied over 400 years, they became a great nation in the midst of another country. And that's what we find in in verse 18 until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Joseph had great favor with the Pharaoh he was under, but when another man came up he didn 't know the exploits of joseph or or the things that uh, the things that Joseph had done for Egypt, the way that he, really Joseph had saved Egypt um, because he he prevented or he saved up grain so that they could endure the seven years of famine that came upon them and so uh, the the current king at this time uh, didn 't know joseph or uh, or what he had done, and so he Uh, he ended up dealing shrewdly, it says, continuing on in verse 19, he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. So uh, again, just to rehash, that's sort of what we've gone over so far. Abraham was given a promise by God, and now we see that that promise is starting to be fulfilled. uh, And it it sounds like you know, he says the time of promises drew near and God is about to, to fulfill this promise. But what it starts out with is the Pharaoh didn't know Joseph and they start killing the infants of the Hebrews. Now, that doesn't sound like a really great way to start fulfilling a promise, but that's how it starts. And Moses happened to be one of those children. It says going on in verse 20, uh, at this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father 's household, and when, his, when he was exposed pharaoh 's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son and Moses was entrusted uh, in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and in his deeds so this pharaoh didn 't know Joseph and, and this people had grown great and, and really influential in uh, in the country of Egypt because of their just simply because of their size. Um, and the Pharaoh ended up dealing shrewdly with him, and uh, and Moses here is miraculously saved um, as he's he's born. He gets to grow up for he grows up for three months in his father's household, and then is put in a basket with tar on it and shipped down uh, down the river and picked up by uh, the Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, we see that going on, and as we go on in this, that Moses is just. Uh, he's brought up in the instruction and wisdom of the Egyptians. He's mighty in words and deeds. I thought that was really, uh, had a great impression on me because I always think of Moses as, uh, as a stuttering individual. He, was, he actually was troubled with his speech. Um, and the reality is that it says he was mighty in his words and his deeds. So it might have been that he was, uh, you know, later he he was speaking humbly about his his ability as an orator, but, uh, but the fact was that, that he was mighty in his words and his deeds um, here in verse 20, in verse 22. Um, so reading on this next section, we see uh, we'll just read through 29 here uh, when when he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by strik- striking down the Egyptian. He is supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving him salvation uh, by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wrongdoing his neighbor thrust him aside and saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So step back for a second. Moses here is, uh, like we said, miraculously saved. He, he uh, is born uh, you know, as a Hebrew in Egypt and sent down the river and saved by the Pharaoh's daughter. As a result of being saved by the Pharaoh's daughter, he gets an education that is unparalleled in the world at the time. He gets an Egyptian education. He grows up in a, an Egyptian home, in the home of the Pharaoh, actually. Um, and so he has great prominence, Okay. Um, Moses no doubt knows his background, understands that he is different from the other Egyptian kids that have survived and lived, and understands that he has a special role to play, I would would guess. He's looking around and and seeing that, you know, I, I recognize that the Hebrews are treated poorly, and I recognize also that I am a Hebrew, yet here I am in Pharaoh's household. I have to do something about this. At some point in his life, it came into his heart that he needed to do something about this tragedy that was happening, this injustice that was occurring to his people. And so we see in that section that we just read that when he's 40 years old, he's, he's grown up. He's, he's uh, grown up under the education of, of the Egyptians. He's become mighty in word and deed. He's very powerful in, in, the, in Egyptian culture there in, the, in Egypt at the time. And so he decides at this point to go and do something about it. So in verse twenty-three and following, we saw that he comes upon uh, an Egyptian man who is uh, abusing a Hebrew, and he defends the Hebrew, and ends up killing the Egyptian man. And it says that he supposed, or he, he thought that uh, his brothers would understand that that this was God trying to save them from their affliction and from this injustice. But apparently it wasn't. It created even more distress uh, and uh, and strife among them because we see later that he goes the next, very next day and tries to solve a different dispute between two Hebrews. And these Hebrews um, end up saying, well, are you going to kill me just like you killed the Egyptian the other day? They say, well, you know, Moses has come and and this is how he's going to implement justice. So they say, well, what what are you going to kill me now too? See, Moses was trusting in the fact that he had uh, great authority and great upbringing and education, great great ability. And he was trusting in that, trusting himself to bring about God's salvation to his people. He's trusting in his own uh, abilities to do that. Moses was taking justice into his own hands. And it's not how God intended him to lead his people. See, God did have a special purpose for Moses. We know that. And and Moses sort of recognized that as he's growing up and as he's getting older and seeing these injustices and understanding who he is. And he sets out to do something about it. But he does so in his own strength. He does so only trusting himself. He sought to be the ruler and judge he wanted to be rather than uh, trusting God. So Moses trusted his his upbringing, his education, his strength to bring salvation to his people, and it only led him to prideful zeal. Moses quickly goes to be educated even further. God has more to teach him, it, it, it appears. Continuing on in verse 29 to 38, we'll see that Moses learns how he is to trust God in bringing salvation to his people. <clears throat> Let's read verse 29 uh, to 38. It says this, At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of, of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire and in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. <clears throat> See, Moses went away ashamed of the way in which he had tried to bring salvation to his people. He thought that he was going to uh, bring justice to them by simply really it ended up being sort of a revolt in a way. Uh, you know, taking justice into his own hands, killing the Egyptian when he was afflicting the Hebrew and trying to uh, solve matters between his brothers instead of knowing their troubles and knowing what they really needed, knowing God and what God had for them. So he leaves and he goes, uh, he, he flees to Midian, the land of Midian, and it says uh, he became an exile in the land of Midian. So here's Moses who grew up in the house of Pharaoh and now is in exile in the land of Midian. <clears throat> He became the father of two sons at that point. So 40 years later, 40 years after that event, 40 years after he had confronted uh, this Egyptian and he had confronted these two Hebrews, he is 80 years old now, okay? So it took him 40 years to start realizing that he has a very specific purpose to, to save his people, to deliver them, to be a ruler and a judge for them. He was feeling that and went after it. it took 40 more years for him to realize to see, for God to be ready to, I guess, uh, to bring about what, uh, what he wanted to in, in Moses. Moses had a lot of learning to do in the land of Midian. So when 40 years had passed, an angel appears to him. <clears throat> Moses has an encounter with God in the land of Midian, in the desert, okay? This is important for a couple reasons, for Moses' story, but also for uh, the story that Stephen is telling in his speech, Remember, Stephen is on trial because he is speaking against the temple and about the presence of God being only in the temple. And throughout this time, as as he's been speaking, he's been saying that the God of glory is not just held to a temple. The God of glory appeared to Abraham while he was in Ur, not even in Israel, not near the temple. God's presence was with Abraham, set him out. God was with Joseph when he was flourishing in Egypt, when he was in jail in Egypt, when he was in a hole in the ground being ready to be sold to Egypt, when he was, uh, when he was uh, serving, serving Pharaoh and, and um, preparing for the famine, God was with him there. His presence wasn't in a temple. The temple hadn't even been built yet is Stephen's point here. And so we see a similar point here with Moses. Moses is now out in the land of Midian as an 80-year-old man in the desert and a flame of fire in a bush appears. And from it a voice saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. He goes on later and says, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Holy ground in the desert of Midian. God's presence isn't confined to a temple, and that's one of Stephen's main points throughout his speech. God is not limited to being worshipped in a single place. He is all over. He is, he is um, in the desert in Midian, ready to speak to Moses. So Moses has this encounter, uh, encounter with God, and, um, and God here in the desert of Midian appears to him, and says to him, gives him instructions. He has, he's going to line out his purpose now for him. Going on in verse 34, he says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. <clears throat> it's important for Moses to hear. Because probably after 40 years of growing up and seeing the afflictions of his brothers, he wanted to do something about it. He's, Lord, like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to, you know, just go bang some heads and like seriously throw down some justice. So he kills the Egyptian, tries to, tries to mediate between his brothers. God assures him in the first statement here to him. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. We see now that God is bringing about the promise that he gave to Abraham. This is 400 years after he gave a promise to Abraham. He promised Abraham, these people are going to inherit this land that you're standing on. You're not going to touch it But in 400 years, after they've been slaves in in Egypt, people are going to come out and inhabit this land. It's going to be the land of your descendants. Here we see that the Lord has seen the affliction of his people. He knew ahead of time that they would be slaves in Egypt. He was going to be with them. Their trust in him had waned though. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, he says, and have heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt," he says Mo, says to Moses. So Moses has learned that uh, he cannot he can no longer trust in his uh, status that he had in Egypt. He can no longer trust in the education that he came up with. He's in a whole new ball game. Okay, God has appeared to him in a bush in the desert of Midian, and now has given this simple instruction: "I will send you to Egypt." So what's the result of uh, Moses trusting God instead of trusting in himself? We see that instead of going on a mission of his own, he goes on a mission with God. In verses 35 to 38, we see the amazing things that God does through Moses. First, it says that he's sent as a ruler and a redeemer for them. Before, in the, in the prior, uh, prior section about, about the Egyptian being killed and about him so, sort of selling the dispute between the, the Hebrews, they, they had said to him, who made you a ruler and a judge? That might have been his feeling in his heart, that he, he was to be that for his people. But God says to him, I am sending you as ruler and even redeemer by the hand of the angel. Moses' understanding of what he was supposed to do was right on. It was spot on. But the way he did it was by trusting in himself rather than trusting in God. So now we see him trusting in God. Verse 36, we see that this man led them out performing signs and wonders uh, in Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the uh, wilderness for 40 years. You, you may know the story. He When he goes to Egypt, he ends up, uh, going through, uh, giving out essentially 10, ten plagues, 10 uh, tests to the Pharaoh saying, let my people out of Egypt. He goes through 10 of those. And finally, the last one, the, the, the killing of the firstborn, Pharaoh relents and, and lets the people go. So uh, Moses first does these amazing uh, signs in front of the people of Egypt to show that the God of the Israelites, the God of the Hebrews uh, is God. Declares that very clearly in his in his works and in his wonders. Next, we see him uh, say that he was doing wonders of the Red Sea. You, you know that story as well. When they approach the Red Sea, they're they're being chased by the Egyptian army, and God parts the waters for them to walk through, and the Egyptian army is is consumed by the water behind them. And finally, for forty years, we see Moses doing miracle after miracle after miracle. Demonstrating the love and grace and justice of God the Father. Moses, trusting God, begins to do wonders and signs in these places. He's no longer trusting in his own strength, he's trusting in God. Verse 37 goes on and says, He not only was doing signs and wonders, but he was prophesying very important things. Verse 37 God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. That prophet is fulfilled in Christ. Up until this time when Stephen is speaking to the Israelites, that prophet had not come in the eyes of the of the Israelites. They had not understood him to have a, uh, arrived, but Stephen is saying, this is that prophet that Moses prophesied about. Jesus is that prophet. Finally, we saw, see that Moses, as he's trusting the Lord, uh, brings down the, the, the Ten Commandments to them. This is the one Moses in, uh, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living art, uh, oracles and gave them to us. Moses spoke face to face with God and received the Ten Commandments to deliver to uh, the people of Israel that they might know how they ought to live. They might know how they ought to go about worshiping God. He gave them instructions to build the tabernacle and and all these things. Very clear regulations about how to separate themselves, how to be holy, how to exalt God in their living. God gave those things to him face to face. This is Moses trusting in God rather than trusting in himself himself. So you can't know how to do God's will until you meet him face to face. Our encounters with God, our experiences with God, don't end in themselves. They drive us to mission for him. Moses tried to go on mission without God. It wasn't until he met God face to face that he knew how to go about the things he needed to do. You can't know how to do God's will until you meet him face to face, until you realize that he is the one that has seen the affliction of his people, that he is the one that has heard their growing, that he is the one that has sent someone to come and deliver them, namely Jesus Christ. You can't know how to do God's will until you met him. You've met him face to face. So Moses learns this lesson. He learns that he isn't supposed to trust in himself, but rather he's supposed to trust in God and the things that he's going about accomplishing. So everything's good, right? Like people respond and they obey the things that God calls them to do and everything turns out. No. No. The Israelites continue to reject. Verse 39 to 43 says this after Moses has done these amazing miracles, has brought out the Israelites from Egypt. has proclaimed these things to them. It says this, Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you not bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, and the images you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond babylon so after moses has come from this amazing encounter with god in the desert when he's 80 years old he goes back to egypt he performs these 10 amazing miracles he leads the people of egypt people of israel out of egypt he leads them through the the sea the sea's part they walked through it he leads them around for 40 years in the wilderness doing sign and sign after sign after sign they refuse, absolutely refuse to obey the words of Moses, to submit to the authority that God has given him. They reject the leadership that God has put in place in Moses. Instead, what do we see them doing? They don't trust in the things that God has set up, they trust rather in the work of their hands, it says. Verse uh, 41. They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the work of their hands. Can you imagine an 80 year old man comes to Egypt, performs these crazy miracles, like, you know, locusts and and firstborn dying, and frogs, and the Nile turning to blood, like, okay, this is crazy stuff, okay, and then draws you out this nation of multitudes, like hundreds of thousands of individuals leaving Egypt, and they're backed up against the sea, and they walk through water, and here you are saying, man, we did that, yeah, go us, amazing, but we do that. We do that all the time. We put our trust, we exalt ourselves, we say, look what I did, and never give exaltation and worship to God who is the one who provided all for us. They made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. You know, the amazing thing about Moses is that When they reject God in this way, because of his experience, he has mercy on the people he's let out. So, as Moses is up receiving the Ten Commandments, the people have made a golden calf. Moses comes down to them, and God is angry with these people. He's ready to obliterate them and start his nation out of the seed of Moses rather than through this line of people that he's, he's brought out of Egypt. He's absolutely livid with them. But Moses intercedes. He prays for them and says, Praise, Lord, be faithful to the promise you've made to Abraham. Be faithful with his people. Moses knew what it was to trust in himself. He had done that and he knew how long it took to learn that lesson. 80 years, really. And so finally, at this point, he intercedes for this people and says, Lord, have mercy. Let them let them live. Do not, do not destroy them. Moses, could you imagine being him and have been going through all of that and and leading these people in such miraculous ways, and then they reject and reject and reject. He knew, he knew what it was. So he prays for them and says, um, do not relent, please, Lord. Unfortunately, they continue to to go into this uh, serving of, of idols and other worship and Uh, They start by by worshiping this calf and and exalting themselves for coming out of Egypt on their own strength somehow. But it says, God gave them over to the worship of the host of heaven as it's written in the book of the prophets. Didn't you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years? You took up the ten of Molech and the star of your God, Rephan, and the images that you made to worship now send you into exile beyond Babylon. You see, it started with simply Exalting themselves, exalting themselves for being able to come out of Egypt, but God allowed it to go further. He said, "If you if you worship yourselves, you do not recognize that I am." And so, the result of of trusting in ourselves is is simply worshiping of things that God has created. First, you start with worshiping yourself, and and we all know individually that well. In the scheme of the world we're not much we 're a piece of dust, and so it goes from worshiping yourself and what you've done to uh to worshiping the moon and the stars or or humanity as a whole or or uh as i said the 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 god uh, the god Moloch and Refn are, are gods of the sun they're given over the worship of heavenly bodies, the worship of things and it gets depressing because you look at the glory and majesty of that and, and rather than wash, worshiping the one who created it you worship the image itself the Israelites reject God's leader they reject God and they turn themselves over to the worship of the things that God has created rather than the creator himself see even when you face When you see God face to face, you must trust him to do his will. Moses had learned that he had seen God face to face and he responded to him. The Israelites saw God face to face through the things that Moses did and they rejected God, rejected what he was doing. And that's the message that Stephen is communicating in his speech is that Time and time, you see God move. You keep seeing the work of the Lord. And our fathers kept rejecting and kept rejecting and kept rejecting. And next week, we'll see him uh, go further to that point and indicating that you are just like your fathers as you reject the plan of God. So our question again tonight is, who do we trust? We face the same question that, that Moses did. Do we trust in ourselves or do we trust in God? We face the same question that the Israelites did. Do we trust in ourselves? Do we, do we uh, give ourselves the glory for coming out in this great manner or do we give all glory to God? We can either trust the work of our hands or we can trust in the plan of God in Christ. The question is for us as we go about this week, how are we going to trust God? Will we respond to Christ and his call on our life? Will we commit to growing in relationship with him through through prayer and the word? Will we trust him by listening to his voice when he speaks and obeying? Are you trusting today in your own effort your own strength, or are you trusting in God? There is only one I am. There's only one creator of all things that are. There's only one person that is deserving of 100% of our trust. And that person is God. That person is the same person who said, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have come down to deliver them. God made this creation. And when it fell, he came to save this creation through Christ. Who will you trust tonight? Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you that we can trust you we thank you that in a world with bias, in a world with agendas, in a world with sales pitches, you have none. You have love. Where do you offer truth and love in your Son Jesus Christ? No gimmicks. Eploys. Simply, here's my son. Believe on him. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. Without him, we are hopeless. Without him, we are striving in our own works. We are rejoicing in, our, in the work of our own hands. But with him, we have been redeemed by his blood. Lord, help us this week that we would learn to trust you more. That we would not strive in our own effort and strength. But that we would trust in God to accomplish the things he has promised to do. We thank you for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.